Nothing's good. At all. Darren writes these and refused to write an exciting intro because he hates this book like Donald Trump hates the Mexicans. This is an unending trudge of misery sent to remind us all that life is futile. It's all of the Phoenix. Buckle up for the shitstorm. Welcome back to Harry Potter Week here on Fell Entertainment. If you've joined us for the last four days, I hope you've enjoyed me being somewhat optimistic about Harry Potter movies, because that's about to fucking end. I'm Darren. <laughs> I'm Mike, as always. And this is Order of the Fuck-Eyed Phoenix. <laughs> Your rage is palpable. Straight off the bat. Oh, it's so funny. My least favourite Harry Potter movie. My least favourite Harry Potter book. I hate it so much. So much. Because it is the longest book. Fat fans. Longest book, longer than even Deathly Hallows is, and yet it has the least amount of things that happen in it. I'd struggle to write three bullet points of things that actually happen in order of the goddamn Phoenix. Yeah, I can write one, maybe, if that. Something major does happen. I'm not denying that that doesn't happen, but it's not worth the amount of time we have to spend to get there. Yeah, I was noting this, and i, I got to say, as somebody who didn't read the book... I was wondering through a majority of this movie on my first watch, I do want to point oh, out. Yes. My first watch of this movie was, what the fuck is Voldemort doing this entire time? Like, obviously that Where gets... is he? He gets answered at the end of the movie of what he's been plotting, but he's just absent for two hours, which is fucking ridiculous. I know, but that's just the start of the terrible like, decisions in this film, Michael. Um, well, what we'll do is just to kind of um, um, paint a picture of where we are. We haven't actually touched back with um, Harry, Ron and Hermione uh, since Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. So I think there enough time has passed where we can really uh, give them another chance to impress. I feel like um, now is the best time to do it because this is where the big change in director for this movie comes in uh, and we get David Yates for the next four movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously we had Christopher Columbus for the first two, Alf Alfonso Curon, I think, yes, for the third him. one, and Mike Newell, I think I'm hoping getting that right, I think it's Mike Newell. You like it with the fact. Mike Newell for, for Goblet, which is, you know, so far, it's not my favourite film overall, but Goblet is the best, is the one to be. I'd say so. And unfortunately we get this one straight off the bat. Oh, oh God. But I, I think, um, I, I don't think Hermione ever, Hermione got better, So Emma Watson got better. Um, and that's nothing to do with how attractive she got, I'm just going to point that out here. Saying she got more tolerable, but I don't think, as I mentioned before, um, and I'll come back to this criticism again. I don't think she's ever likable enough to be Hermione. I think you're right. Again, for somebody who hasn't read the books as much as you, your main criticism drawn to the character of Hermione in the books is that she's somewhat. She's actually like likable there. In a yeah, sense. It, it, it's not like she's miles off. Yeah. In that she she does get a lot of the other things right, but I think the problem with Emma Watson's almost anti-acting is that you're never really rooting for Hermione to, to, to win. She's very much the third wheel. You'd much rather it be Harry and Ron pretty much all the time because they have good chemistry together. You believe they're best friends and Hermione is just, just kind of there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Rupert Grint was always the consistent one. 
Um, I actually think he got less funny as the movies went on. Yeah, I think he I lost it. He was he was funnier in Chamber and, and in Azkaban than he ever was in the later movies. Obviously, there's less funny things to happen in the later movies, but um, I, I think yeah, he was he was very much in his element early on with the childish humour. Once that aspect of his character goes away, he he's not as good. Yeah, still fine. And Daniel Radcliffe, this is the one where he starts doing that stupid snakehead bollocks, where he goes like, "Listen to me!" <laughs> oh God, I hate that. I hate that so much. He can't act anyway, so try and do some like weird psychopath thing, especially with the snake heady tilt deal he keeps doing. Yeah. Every time he has like a flashback of Voldemort, he gets to be angry, he starts going. Yeah. And and is this the movie that started just his his uh, penchant for fainting all the time? Yeah, he does hit the deck with, <laughs> yeah. alarming, with alarming regularity. As as I was finishing the uh, the movie series, I was like. If I had a pound for every time that Harry had fainted across all these movies, I would be a very rich man. Or I could at least afford a very nice takeaway. Or every time he blinked out of sequence. <laughs> You'll notice it, Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, don't say blinking. that, because I'm going to have to rewatch it now. There's a problem with blinking. He just half blinks. He doesn't actually blink, he just squints really close and then opens his eyes again. It's very odd. Um, be on the lookout for that. Uh, well, we will touch back on the... We'll give a really conclusive review, I think, when we get to uh, Deathly House Part 2. But just so you know, that's where we stand. Hermione, not improving. Ron, getting worse. Harry, still shit. Yeah, but which is weird, because this is the movie that, that, that pretty much from the off, in terms of how it's shot, is very much shown to be a more adult movie. And these actors have now grown up. Again, there was another two-year time skip time skip it's real time there was another two year gap between Goblet and this one mm-hmm. and then it was consistently every year after that was where it? Dudley gained two foot in height and a Burberry cap yeah oh, that, was oh, that, that was a fun scene to open oh, with god yeah we open with rampant despair and never really recover from that point on yeah um, with the Dementors attacking uh, um, Dudley and Harry in the suburbs uh, this leads to um, what we, we kind of get the, the soft introduction to the Order of the Phoenix. I believe they are mentioned a few more times in the books, yeah. like however offhandedly, but this is kind of their, the, you know, the rejig version. Yeah. There is the OG version of the Order of the Phoenix, which contains Harry Potter's mum and dad, Sirius Black, uh, Lupin, Hagrid, McGonagall, led up by um, Dumbledore, of course, um, and also Neville's parents, who were tortured by someone we're going to talk about in a moment. Yep. But this is Mark II. Uh, it has Hagrid still, it has Dumbledore, uh, has McGonagall, um, but also has, um, did I mention Mad Eye? I think you Mad-Eye. No, you didn't, but Mad-Eye. Uh, Remus is still in it as well. Remus, Remus is still in it. We do get introduced to Kingsley Shacklebolt, but he's nowhere near as prominent as he is in the books. Um, he, the fact that I don't know who you're talking about is probably an indication guy. of that. Oh, yes. Kingsley yes. Shacklebolt. He, he's he's not like a major character in the books, but he, he's more prominent he's than he ever is. Yeah, and he, he eventually becomes, after the event of um, Deathly House Part 2, he becomes the Minister of Magic. Yeah. So, so that's a big deal. Um, he does get the, the line of the century uh, in, in in this movie, of course. The only high point of this goddamn movie. Um, but we do also meet Tonks, who is a bigger player the Invadora! The Invadora Tonks, who's awful. I like her. They didn't know, they, they got a completely... No, 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 wrong. her character's awful. I think she's pretty, though, and that's really about it. And but I like her she, hair. She, she, they didn't do Tonks well. What the whole thing of like she gets angry and her hair changes from purple to red? Why I don't she, know. She she's like she was essentially Avril Lavigne right. in the Harry Potter world. Like this kind of punk girl that you wanted yeah, to yeah, I like know, that. Like like yeah, like like tank girl. Like like he um, was a boy, she was a witch. How can I make it any more obvious? Exactly. Not like Jubilee levels of like being immature, but like yeah. someone like a cool older sister. Yeah. That you wanted to hang around with had that kind of punk rock attitude. A really refreshing character in kind of a lot of old footy duddies in the in the Order of Phoenix to have someone 
like that in her mid twenties, full of life, full of loving being a wizard and aura, all around great person. I don't think they ever really they never really gave enough screen time to have that. I have two prominent memories of this character. The first time we see her, and I was like, I want to know more about this character. Like, she seems really cool. We've got, you know, a goth girl in Harry mm-hmm. Potter. I'm like, fantastic, this seems really cool. And then the next memory I have is, uh, now she's married to Lupin. What? Now she's married to Lupin. She's yeah. got short hair for some reason. And who looks like her geography teacher. Oh, God, she looks horrendous in, in the next movie. Yeah, uh-huh. it looks really stupid. Um, no, I, I was really looking forward to Tonks. Um, she's one of the kind of major characters that came in at the halfway point. Uh, there's quite a few in this movie, actually, they introduced. A lot of characters who've gone on to have big lives outside of the book. But I think the reason why people talk more about Luna and talk more about Bellatrix as opposed to Tonks is because they just didn't really... Now, I'm not naming the, blaming the actress for it. it. It wasn't really her fault. But the look, the kind of the kind of attitude, the you should have meant more time with her. And I understand that characters yeah. have got the time cut down, but... Yeah, it's not great. And then you already get miserable tongs in the next movie, which which does yeah. happen in the next book, admittedly. But it's a lot more um, it's a lot more jarring the kind of change. Whereas here, it's just yeah, like a, very, a lot of wasted potential there. Yeah. Definitely, um, a lot of that. Yeah, we do get to have a look at the Ministry of the Magic for the first time. Ministry, the Ministry of the Magic. The Minister mm. of the Magic. The Minister of Magic. Which if you ever go to the Harry Potter tour, is probably the, one of the most impressive sets there is because it's basically all there. The oh, big, sweet. The big bit with all the windows, like the windows offices and the big yeah. atrium with the fountain, which is there. What really? It's not. It's not the fountains in this one. It's the the one from when Voldemort takes over the Ministry. Yeah. But the big obelisk with all the humans underneath it. Yeah. That's there. Oh, nice. And it looks because it's basically it's one of the only few sets in the Harry Potter tour that's like wrap around. Like, everywhere you look, it's like the Ministry green tiling. Oh, my God, it looks so cool. Yeah. We get the quick trial of um, of Harry Potter, where you, of course, get to learn Albus Dumbledore's full name. Yes. <clears throat> Go on. Albus Percival Wolfric Brian, Brian. Dumbledore. <laughs> Magical. That did make me laugh. This is the point in, in the in the films and in the books where Dumbledore starts being a bit more standoffish with Harry. Yeah. Um, um, it, it is kind of explaining why he's doing this, um, because if something that happens in, in... We find it more about in... Uh, half Prince and um, Deathly Hallows, but kind of a bit jarring that he all of a sudden goes from loving Grandpa Dumbledore to kind of mm, again something that to give a Dumbledore update is something that the Gambon would probably do better than Harris. Yeah, I don't think Harris could ever really turn off that kind of lovable warmth that he innately has. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, Gambon probably was more suited to this task. Uh, I just mentioned her, so we'll, we'll bring her up again. A new character introduced here, Luna Lovegood. Now. Here's the thing, right? Oh, this... I've just realised something. What? You told me before this podcast, this uh, introduced one of your least favourite characters. Yeah. I think I've never guessed who it is. I think you have. Yeah, go on, Michael. fucking Luna, and I hate this character. Ah. To the moon and back, I hate this fucking character. Uh, what is her point? She's just exposition. She That's all she does is exposition and weird. That's not a fucking character. That's fucking Tumblr bait. Oh, it's so terrible. I really, really hate this character. I don't think they did a good job. I think I, I think they did a better job with her than they did with Tonks in capturing that kind of weirdness. She is a big fan favourite from the comic book. You do read it the comic books? The comic books. books. <laughs> you do really like Luna. She is this weird, but I the actress never really did it for me. I think her name's it's either Havana or Evelyn Lynch. Something like that. And and it's basically her first ever acting job. The story goes, and I told this to to my girlfriend, who then corrected me and said that's not the truth, but it's kind of the urban legend, is that she met uh, J.K. Rowling when she was in hospital with um, um, 
either bulimia or um, anorexia, whatever it was. And uh, the story goes that J.K. promised her that if if she lost, uh, if she got she's not lost weight, she got weight, she got <laughs> back, if she if she kicked the habit, basically, she would consider her for a, an audition for Luna, and then of course she eventually got it. Um, apparently that's urban urban legend. The mm. first time J.K. rarely met her for the second time was on the set, so she yeah. clearly had no thing there, but. Yes, it's great that she turned her life around and fantastic. She basically dropped off the face of the earth ever since. Yep. She turned up in the Lenny Henry biopic on BBC One. That was weird. Yeah, um, starring somebody that we know, which was weird. Do we? Yeah, the guy who played Lenny Henry. I don't know him. I know he went to Wood Green. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, sorry, American listeners. <laughs> he played the shrunken head on the night bus, Lenny Henry. Oh, did. we forgot to mention that. We did. Oh, we forgot to mention the night Gonna bus. Gonna be a bumpy ride. That was, that was fun. I like that bit. <laughs> Only they're getting closer. Only they're really getting closer. Only the ride on top of us. Earn it. Earn it. I love that bit. Anyway. We're talking about the movie that's talking sucks. about this one. Um, and, and yeah, she's not a great actress. That's no. the unfortunate problem. I know that kid act- actors aren't fantastic anyway, but she's really bad. Yeah. Really, really, really wooden and, and, and off. And I, I think that kind of makes a difference. Maybe that was the plan to make her slightly odd in that way, but it doesn't feel like it was... It, for the most part, it feels like it's by accident. No, but it just doesn't... Odd. It doesn't fucking work. That's the problem. She doesn't understand the basic principle of eye lines. And as an actor, you pick up on that pretty much instantly. It's like, Guess who did what? the drama degree, like, everybody? It's like, where the fuck are you looking, love? Stop it. Stop. Oh, I got She's away I, with the fairies, Michael. I, I, the, oh, there's, there's better ways of doing that. There is better ways. Oh, this character annoys me so much. Undoubtedly. And I think I'd be more annoyed, aggravated, or whatever you want to call it with Luna, if it weren't for Dolores fucking Umbridge. Now, I'm going to make a point about this before you go on to your rant. I want you to. The fact that you feel so uh, hate, so much hatred towards this character probably makes her a good villain. Darren, go ahead. Came to point, Michael. Um, you understand that I have an innate knowledge of all things wrestling. I know what it takes to be a, ba- a good bad guy. It wants to be someone that you dislike, despise, want to see taken down, want to see how bad things happen to do. But you still want to watch that happen. What you don't want is something referred to in the wrestling business as X-Pac heat. Also known as Roman Reigns heat. In that you're not booing them for their effective villain work. You're booing them because you literally don't want to watch them. You, are, you, you dislike them so much in your soul and in your core that you're booing them in the hopes that they will go away. They will just get out of your life. That is Umbridge. I don't like her as a bit. This is for the books as well, just this character in general, across all mediums. She's not funny. She's not enjoyable to watch. She's not someone you can revel in their villainy. She's just the fucking worst. Yes, she did inspire a reaction, which I suppose talks to your point. But I don't... Like Every time... Sent, all the time spent with her makes my opinion of this movie less and less and less and less. I'm not enjoying the same way I enjoyed Voldemort, the same way I enjoyed Snape, the same way I enjoyed, um, who's another villain, Bellatrix, the same way I enjoyed lots of the villains that pop up in Harry Potter where you're okay spending time with them. I fucking hate Delilah Sunbridge. This is the main reason Order of the Phoenix is a pile of shit. I, fucking, I don't even think that um, um, Imelda Staunton? Imelda. Imelda Staunton did a bad job. 
she actually, again, <laughs> I know I say this in every podcast, but she took that character straight from the books and put it on the screen. Yeah. That was the problem. They took that character straight from the books <laughs> and put it on fucking stream. It has led to a wonderful in-joke with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, we would, um, we would, um, I don't think I've told this on the podcast already, but yeah, no. we would, we would um, when we're texting each other and she lies or we're in public and she like, tells a lie, like a little white lie, I would just say what uh, Umbridge says in this, which is I would go, this is a lie. <laughs> this has now evolved into when we do it over text, I now just say the word Umbridge. And it's evolved even more where she lies, I will just send her a picture of Dolores Umbridge. I won't just say anything there, I'll just send her the picture, the same picture every single time of Umbridge going, um, But no, please don't mistake that, that in joke as any type of fondness for this character. I, I've swore a lot in this podcast, admittedly, and Umbridge is the problem because she's fucking the worst. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I, I think she's an effective villain. Stephen King thinks so. Yeah. Stephen King's favourite villain of the last 20 years was Dolores Umbridge. That makes sense. It genuinely makes sense because she's just someone you want to see fail. And I would say, like, again, from a pure acting standpoint, you have to understand from a pure acting standpoint, she revels in villainy and is competent at villainy and gets things done. They have no relevance to the fucking plot. That's a different None. point. Literally two hours of this movie may as well not have happened and we'd have got on all the same. That's the problem. What we do get is a weird, a political thriller by way of carry-on. It's just weird. It's it's very British, wholesome, not even wholesome, British, not raunchy, but stupid comedy by way of, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier, Soldier Spy. It's, it's a weird movie. But I would say that Unbridge is a competent villain that has a really unsatisfying conclusion to her arc. It just it just happens. She gets just gets taken off by centaurs and that's the end of it. There is more to that in the books, in that I believe this is the one where the centaur takes over the astrology job. Ah. And or it becomes like a, a like a half a, a teacher when when Trelawney gets kicked out of her post they they uh, invite Frenze, who was the centaur in the first movie. Yeah. Uh, in Philosopher's Stone, they invite him to become the teacher and there's more Oh, so that doesn't happen in this movie because she's just that you think that's going to happen and then and she's Dumbled- just yeah Dumbledore yeah, yeah says no yeah. not having that business that, that happens um, but no, I think we're going to have to disagree, uh, agree to disagree on this one because yeah. I, I will never have my opinion I'm, turned on this I'm not saying that I that I enjoy this movie because I really fucking don't but I but I will I would actually defend Umbridge in a sense that I think that 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 someone who can especially not within just you but within the internet at large get that guttural feeling of hatred. That's kind of a good acting job. We could spend many a time talking about media theory and why I disagree, but we're yeah. not going to do that. We're going to talk about more wooden actors. Okay. Unpopular opinion incoming. Right. The Weasley twins yeah. are some of the most wooden actors in the entire franchise. No, I started to notice it in this movie as well. They have one shticked, and that's talking at the same time, finishing each other's sentences. And talking very fast. And talking very fast. And talking in the same kind of tone all the way through. And it's just... It's, well, it's almost so... like this podcast. Hey. Well done, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you're watching them audition. It's yeah. almost like watching two people who are still at school learning how to act do this. I know they're from around here. And it feels like I'm stabbing them in the back. But no, the Phelps twins, no, no. no. I don't think they did. They, I... I, I they're nowhere near as likeable. They do have some funny moments, I'm not denying that. 
but they they they're, they're pale they're, in comparison to their book. They're unfortunate to be put into the acting fam, the same acting fam that Julie Waters and Mark Williams are in. Yeah, and then Rupert Grint, who, as you've said, is probably our favourite of the main trio. Yes, and that that that's already bad competition because they're not gonna come over that. the The point where I started really disliking the Weasley twins with the um, it's the scene where they take the indoor fireworks into the exam hall. Because what the fuck does that scene... It accomplishes fucking nothing. I think that's their best scene. Really? I do. I think... See, the thing, when they're not doing the stupid finishing each other's sentences, they're actually okay. They're fine. They actually have some nice lines, but they just can't shake that. I think, again, the book set up much more in that basically the Weasleys wage a war against Umbridge all the way through the year, and she just keeps stopping them, and that's like the big blow-off of them just... They've had enough, it's time to stick it to the man, and that's how they're going to do it. Kind of comes out of left field in this one. Yeah, it just happens. They... Also, surely that would not stop an exam. Like, that would not completely cancel the exam. Like, it would. they would just come back and do it the next day. I don't know why there was such a big, yeah, we did it! It's like, yeah, because like, like... we, we really can't get more desks in this world of magic. They weren't cheering because the, the exam had finished necessarily. They were cheering because someone had finally stuck it to Umbridge. And lit the big W in the sky. Um, so I, it's probably their best movie, but I didn't like them at all. <laughs> so that's 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 good. Um, right, another Deus Ex Machina was introduced in this movie. Yes. Yeah, another one that can really solve a lot of problems and never is useful. The Room of Requirement. Yeah, I people were mentioning this, and I'd heard because obviously at this point I'd stopped watching the Harry Potter movies when I was uh, younger, and and this was very much in growing up around people who liked Harry Potter and watched the movies and read the books. And I'd re- remembered the term room of requirements. In fact, I'd heard it most famously in, um, there's a, a YouTuber called Charlie So Cool, like you probably heard of him. You haven't? Wow, okay, fair enough. He's one of the biggest ones. That's unfortunate. Okay. And they ha- he had a room in his house called, the ro- he named it the room of requirement after this movie, after uh... this thing. Um, so I had no idea what the fuck it was. And then it showed up. And I was like, okay, that's actually kind of a cool idea. Cool idea, but again... It's a deus ex machina, but it's a cool idea. Whatever it is. It's it, it, it used better in this movie. When it's used to store junk in uh, Half-Blood Prince and the Deathly Hallow movies... Yeah, stupid. You're like, well, well, then why didn't you just store, like, a thousand of the statues in here for when you need to, you know, protect the castle? Why didn't you store, like, dragons or some, like, really dangerous stuff in here for when you need to protect the castle and all that stuff? Why didn't you put safeguards on it so not any fucking just walk past and turn it into a room? You'd think they'd be, you know, you'd put a lock on the door towards the Philosopher's Stone, let's put a lock on this one, or, you know, you have to say a special incantation or all this other business. That's what annoys me. I think it's weak storytelling um, from, from JK here. Yeah. Does lead us to have a... Um, the kind of the thrust of this movie is the the kids trying to emulate the Order of the Phoenix with um, letting Umbridge have a taste of Dumbledore's army. <laughs> nice, that big rap battles reference. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yes, Harry. In what is actually kind of like a um, a logical step to take is that Hermione points out you've fought off Dementors, you've killed a Basilisk, you've um, done stuff in the Philosopher's Stone, getting past Fluffy and all that good stuff, you've beaten Voldemort before, albeit in his Quirrell form, you survived the Triwizard Tournament, you should be teaching us to vent the Dark Arts, and not this Toad Lady. Um, and then gets together the kind of rebellious force of Dumbledore's army, which leads to a lot of montages. Yeah. Montages bookended by some Cho Chang emotion. Yeah, the charge anger motion was annoying, but I kind of enjoyed seeing Teacher Harry a little bit. It was 
fine, but it just... I think in a movie that really needed an action set piece in the middle, you kind of... When you spend yeah. time with, like... It's not like they're building the characters. You know, you're not really learning more about Neville. You're not learning more about Luna or Ginny. The only one you're learning more about is Cho Chang, and this is Cho Chang's last Maven movie. She's yep. barely in the next ones. Because um, she got all emotional, and it's like, oh, but Cedric just died, and I want to kiss Harry, but oh, my face is all wet, he's not going to like that. Oh, fuck no, oh. 18 fucking times. Oh, God, no, Harry, no. Oh, I want to kiss you, but I'm all, oh, I'm all emotional, oh, no. Um, Podcast in jokes. You're wonderful. Well, they finished into the last one, they'll, they'll yeah, get yeah. it, they'll get it. Um, so that, that felt like a waste of time to me. Like, it explains why they can all of a sudden go fight Death Eaters at the end. Yeah. But this Middle East movie is such... Because you're not into Umbridge like I wasn't. It's just such a slog to get through. And I don't think these help. No, it, it was after I'd finished watching it, I went, that was a that was a perfectly okay movie. It was a poor Harry Potter movie. And nothing happened. The end happens, which can we talk about now? Uh, no, we've got a few more things to touch on. Okay, um, so, so much like this movie, I have to slog through some more shit before we can talk about the one thing that happens then. Well, yeah, we've got to talk about the Marauders flashbacks. Oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! We get by the pensieve. That did happen. Which is which is always fun. Um, we get to see young Harry, young James, and young Sirius, and young Lupin for the first time, uh, and a few glimpses of Lily Potter here and there. So that's fun. As we mentioned before, any trip into the pensieve is always a, is always a good time. Um, I believe this is the one where you've seen bullying Snape. So yes, because Snape is trying to teach him to block. Oh, out. Legimency, of course, yeah. is yes. Um, so yeah, we get to see James be a bit of a prick, and that's when you're like. Oh, he was a bit of a prick, Snape. wasn't lying. He was probably exaggerating, but... <laughs> and, of course, that's um, some seeds for later. Yeah. For the best chapter I've ever read of any book ever. Nice. We'll get to that soon. Um, uh, we, we also need to talk about Bellatrix fucking Lestrange. Uh, do we have to? Yes, we do. Oh. She's really good. Mm. I like what she wanted to do. don't more. really like uh, more... I mean... Uh, Again, I'm saying this as somebody who one of his favorite movies is Sweeney Todd and 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 Helen Bonham Carter has been in my other favorite movies of mine like Fight Club and stuff like that. And I really didn't like her as Bellatrix, and no. I, and I get what she was trying to be—just a completely batshit, unhinged murderess. But I didn't have fun with it. I just, I just did no. not enjoy. Every time she popped up, like, oh, here we fucking go again. No, I, I like her as kind of the the second in command, completely off the deep end, wiki witch of the west. I liked her as that. Helena Bonham Carter really brought it there. I think only she could have. Yeah, if you're gonna do that character, you get Helena Bonham Carter. But I don't like that character. That's that's all I can say. Really? And every time, oh god, when we come to talk about Half Blood, I'll I'll really lay okay. into it there. But every no, fucking but time she showed up, it's like, oh here we fucking but she, go. She's the antithesis of of, of Umbridge, and that I revel in her watching her be villainous. I like watching her be manic and evil and all this stuff. And she has a good payoff. So actually, no, it's not as good as in the books, but it's still a, a decent payoff. Um, no. We disagree there. So you like Umbridge and dislike Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, it turns and out we I... have very conflicting views on this movie. Huh. I still think it sucks, though. And that's why we can be friends. Yeah, can um, we be friends? Well, let's move on. Yeah, we can start getting towards the end. Of course, the, the something that is, is planted in this movie and, and pulled through is this thought of the prophecy. Yeah. Brought up by Sybil Trelawney in one of the only two genuine moments of clairvoyance she ever has. Yeah, because um, the rest is bullshit. Yes, and they don't really explain how it's somehow in a glass tube. But if yeah. people already know what the prophecy is, then why does it matter? The prophecy, of course, that Dumbledore would. Oh, be you want about the glass 
sphere. Yes, the little spoil. The yeah, little yeah. Sphere. yeah, it is a sphere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is a sphere because it's um, it. That contained the, the prophecy. Um, the prophecy, of course, was that um, Voldemort would be defeated by a child born at the end of July, which could apply to both Harry Potter and to Level Longbottom, uh, and neither can leave whilst the other survives. Um, so is that the only part of the prophecy? Does it not mention about the parents being dead at all? No, there, there's there's the, more. The bears to it. and bears I'm, a mark of the. I'm giving you the cliff notes. I'm trying to like I made the effort to sit through this fucking bullshit. Thank you, movie. Michael. Thank you. But um, <laughs> but those are the important bits. It could have been Harry or Neville. Um, and they're born at the end of July, and neither can live whilst the other survives. Yeah, That's all you need to know. So this is a big prophecy for the the Death Eaters want it. Because uh, they believe it holds the key for figuring out how Voldemort's going to be able to attack Harry and and, and truly defeat him. Uh, Harry wants it because he wants to know what the prophecy is. He wants to know if it has any information for him that will help him in doing the opposite task of killing Voldemort. Uh, so they decide to go to the Ministry of Magic to go and check it. It's also because Harry Potter has the vision of Sirius being attacked by Nagini and at the mercy of Voldemort because Voldemort basically figures out that he has uh, this kind of gateway into Harry's mind. Nagini's the snake, isn't it? Nagini is the snake, yeah. yes. Um... He has his and he basically plants an, uh, an image in there that gets Harry to run to him, because only people who have who are involved in the prophecy can use it or extract it or some bollocks like that. It's magic. That is explained, but it's it's been a few weeks since I've rewatched it, so I can't remember it offhand. Yeah. Uh, so then we get the the what is now known as the Battle of the Ministry of Magic, um, the the action sequence that we finally got at the end of this movie. This is the only good bit in my estimation. Yeah, the last there half hour was fine. Nothing good. Other than, of course, Dumbledore making his exit by grabbing onto Forks and Kingsley Shacklebolt saying, you've got to admit you don't like him, but he has got style. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, and yeah, we get the big blow-apart battle between... Well, this thing, there's, there's two stages to this, which is kind of the underlings having the battle and then the big dogs coming out. So we get uh, the Order of the Phoenix versus the Death Eaters. So we get to see... Well, Order um, of the Phoenix Mark II. Order of the Phoenix Mark II versus yeah. the Death Eaters. They make this weird entrance in, like, sand teleportation. Yeah, that's weird. There's a very weird visual flourish never really explained. Quick one. Mm. Is it ever explained why the fuck they can turn into into weird tar clouds and fly? Is that ever explained? No, that's a visual flourish. Okay. In the books, it's kind of like a big deal that Voldemort has learned to fly without a broom. Yeah. But yet all the other Death Eaters can do it. Which is weird. It is weird. It looks cool. Yeah. But it's never really explained. No, that, 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 they leave that to the imagination. Uh, so yeah, we get the in the Department of Mysteries with the big veil. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, we get to see the fight. Now, there is a great. There are some great moments here. You get to see um, Neville actually being able to fight people. Yeah. Uh, you get. Um, I, I, I like Dumbledore's army versus the Death Eaters in in like the rows and columns of all the spheres. I like that scene. That that's visually pleasing to me. And you do get that wonderful shot, however heartbreaking it is in 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 retrospect. Of Sirius and Harry fighting side by side against Lucius and uh, Yaxley or someone too. Um, really going at it. Some really nice. This is where that kind of sword Carter thing kind of comes into it, the one fighting. Yeah. Where in in the previous movies it's kind of been like a bit straightforward, whereas this one's more flourishy and looks more like an actual like action packed duel. duel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like. There is of course that other heartbreaking moment, very easy to miss, that Sirius calls Harry James at one point. Yeah, yeah. Well like, done, James. Like. Oh. And then, just as he thinks he's got Bellatrix saying his beat, Bellatrix shoots him in the stomach in a shot that Sirius does nothing to block. Yep. Which is kind of odd. And he falls through this veil. So you're not the only one who thought this was a bit fucking stupid. Oh, no, a lot of people... Because I thought this was fucking stupid. Not one. And, and, uh, and that's and, uh, it. I have never read anything in the books or anything on the Wikipedia page or anything that explained what the fuck this veil is. Yeah. 
that kills a major character, and yet it's never explained what the hell it is. I thought Voldemort was going to come through it. I thought that was that was going to be the whole, like, it was either going to, like, crack or fall apart, and then just, bam, it's like, Voldemort's like, what's up, bitches, I'm back. That oh, no. That would have been cool. It's, it's, it's a veil between the living and the dead that's in the middle of the ministry, that they happen to build the Ministry of Magic around and found in the basement or something. Yeah. And no one's bothered to put a door on it or, you know, put a warning sign, put some tape, a bar or something, like a red rope to let you know not to go near it. Basically, they didn't risk assessment that at all. Again, it's lazy writing on the point of J.K. Rowling, of just, you know, it falls back and it's all mysterious and he's dead now. Don't question it. Yeah. Well, he got Havada Kedavra anyway, so he did. Well, he's dead. But it's but just the whole, like, just... and, uh... This, that's weird. I can't start on the veil, Michael, because we'll be here for 20 minutes more. Um, <laughs> just know that it's stupid and shit. And then Harry Potter kind of gets moved more into the atrium area. And this is when Voldemort turns up. And then that's when Dumbledore turns up. Yeah, it's and it's big boy time. Okay, you've had all your little underlings and it was all very fun and games, but now it's Yoda versus Sidious. It <laughs> um, Which also happened in a place of governance. Huh. Huh. Weird that. Between a pasty white bloke and a black cloak and a really, really old guy. <laughs> wonder where JK got an um, inspiration for that. Do, are there, Admittedly, this came out before episode three, but there we go. Be, their beams are red and green as well. Yeah. Ah. But different, because Voldemort, Dumbledore's are red and Voldemort yeah. is green. Hmm. Hmm. Plot Admittedly, twist. Sith came out after this, so maybe George Lucas took some inspiration <laughs> for this, but there we go. Um... So yeah, we get the, the really big showing of, like, they've always said that Dumbledore was the most powerful wizard, but you never actually saw him in action. Yeah. Now you do, and now you don't question it for shit. Yeah. Because it's fucking fantastic of the red and the green going at it. Dumbledore, you know, Voldemort summoning up all the fire, Dumbledore getting all the water at the fountain to douse it, moving it round in the big ball. That was cool. Oh my God, it's so good. We do get some really stupid bits of Voldemort going into Harry's head and him doing the fucking snake thing again. Um, oh yeah, this featured some of the worst blue screen I've ever seen. Oh yeah, horrendous. It's, it's just the bit where, where Ray finds is just like, it's just like, it's like it's kind of like moving through clouds, but you see him told and just goes, yeah, from the corner. Like, <laughs> what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> it's so dumb. It is dumb, but I think this is, it doesn't make up for the rest of the movie being absolute horseshit. Yeah. But this is a very good display of power between the two. And you really do think, right, the stakes are high now. We have two of the most powerful wizards at it for at least this movie. Ooh. Um, and, and it is a good ending to what is undeniable if you haven't picked up on this already <laughs> by far and away my least favourite book my least favourite film my least favourite point of any Harry Potter medium see I I fuck I don't like this movie uh-huh. but just given that, that Chambers just doesn't hold up comparatively mm. maybe it's because Chambers the one I watched years ago and obviously I only recently watched okay. Order but I think Order has some good points but he's overall not very impressive. But I think he's actually a better crafted movie. And genuinely, I think there are actually some things that work about it. I think there are some funny moments in it. I like the repeated gag of all the rules on the wall in, in Hogwarts. Yeah. And when that comes tumbling down and then and then Filch has to sweep up all the shit. I, that you gag, know I like Filch gags, yeah, yeah. so I'm that, okay with that. That gag paid off for me, like, big time. Okay. And purely because I have that... A few good things, and I, you know, we 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 disagree about Dolores, but and I think that she's a decent villain, and the ending is good and has some really nice stuff, and it looks better, and it's directed better, and it's acted better. I I gotta give, I gotta give advantage advantage order. Order is my seventh favorite movie of this of this eight. 
And you're perfectly entitled to your opinion. If you would have found it a good movie, then we really would have had to have some fighting work. Yeah. You know? Definitely my least favourite. I can't stand Umbridge. Nothing happens in it until the right at the end. And yes, there are some stuff at the end that works, but I think even in those instances, there are movies still to come that do the action better, do the characters better. Even when introducing this movie, this isn't Bellatrix's best movie. Um, this isn't Luda's best movie. It's not anyone's best movie. I just think there's a lot more to come. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Thank God. Plug away, Michael. So you can go on to fileentertainment.com. We're slap bang in the middle of 30 days of stuff. That is a new piece of content every day for the month of November. There is podcasts and articles that you can go ahead and listen and watch. Respect. Well, listen and watch. Listen and read. And please listen to them respectively. Yeah, do do give them the correct level of respect that yeah. they're entitled to and of course Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud and Minds at the username FowlerENT that is F-O-U-L-E-N-T and you can go and find me personally on Twitter at, at that Mike Owen Darren you can find me at the Guttridge on Twitter you can also go over to ProWrestling.net and check out my wrestling stuff as Michael mentioned we are in the middle of uh, Harry Potter week in the build up to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them um, if you haven't already go listen to our previous podcast covering the previous four Harry Potter movies Thank you for listening to The Order of the Phoenix. I told you it'd be fun to watch me anger. And don't worry, everybody, this is very much the trough. We're on the way to the peak now. The only way is up from The Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Starting tomorrow uh, with my second favourite book, mm. oh, The Half-Blood Prince. I think you're actually going to see a bit of a reversal in uh, opinions here, Michael. I think we actually might. Of me being the defender and you being the attacker. Yep. Oh, the fun we'll have tomorrow. Please do join us here for Fellow Insane for The Half-Blood See you later, everybody. Bye-bye.